Amen. Please have a seat. Good morning. It's good to worship with you all and um, hope you're enjoying the, the rain that uh, we much needed anyways. Um, and as I'm sure Pastor Paul mentioned, but um, we want to encourage you, uh, some of you to sign up for membership. We want you to be a family member of our church, not a perpetual visitor forever. And we also want you to serve and uh, want you to serve in the church. Our church uh, is functions by all of our volunteer staff that um, several hundred people that are on our roster that teaches and cooks and cleans and leads songs and um, sets up and break down and all this stuff. And so we want you to serve in that way. And so fill out that form um, and give it to uh, Pastor Paul after service or put it in the offering. We would love for you to serve in this way and uh, get started. Uh, today, we're going to be starting a series as we go through the book of 1 John. And uh, we're going to go through 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, all the way to Jude until Easter comes around. That is our plan. And uh, we're going to be studying these little uh, letters in the back of the New Testament um, and uh, seeing what it's about. You know, the writer is John himself. It's named after him. John, the disciple. John, the one of the core three, Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, John, the one that wrote the Gospel of John, the one who wrote Revelation, wrote the first three books, and uh, he wrote First John, as we're going to look at today. The one who walked closely with God, uh, with Jesus Christ, heard from him directly, um, had intimate, firsthand experience with him, writes this uh, wonderful letter. And if you have read First John before, initially when you read it, it sounds fairly um, like a simple read. You know, it's not as difficult as uh, reading, it feels like, as Romans, per se, or some of the other books. But as you read it more, you realize how deep it is, how much theological truth there is. And so, I'll be honest with you, this week as I was preparing this message, um, it was very difficult. Because the message was getting so long, it ended up becoming, um, you know, just way too much. And too, you know, this is kind of what... Preachers have to go through. We get all the, you know, study and the material, and then you got to just kind of shave off a lot of it. You got to edit it, um, or else you're going to go on just way too long and way too much information. And so it, it was just tough. But the one main thing I want to talk about today is having fellowship with God. And John talks about this fellowship with God. And in order to have fellowship, to walk with God, in order to have fellowship, we have to confess our sins. And when we confess, we have forgiveness from him. So it's kind of this cycle that happens. We walk with God. When we don't walk with God, we ask for forgiveness. Uh, we confess our sins. He forgives us, and we're back with God. And we see this all through the Old Testament stories and the book of Judges and so on. Uh, but John here particularly uh, kind of hits upon two extreme people when it comes to walking with God. Two people that are just on the far end, opposite of each other, and yet very similar. Um, uh, the first is the person who is in complete denial. They think that they are doing okay. They think that they um, are doing just fine. And actually, they kind of march to their own beat. They don't listen to God's word or look, read God's word, but they say, hey, you know, I think this is okay, and I think I'm okay with this, and you know what? Not doing this is fine. Not going to church is okay. And they come up with all their own sets of rules, and they think they're okay with God, or at least they, they, uh, they're in denial in that way. And there's the other far end of the spectrum where there is someone who says that they're just completely defeated. 
Like, I, I have so many sins. I sin all the time. And you know what, God? Um, I can't even go to God. What's the point? Uh, it's just a waste of time. You know, my, my temper problem that I lose and the things that I always, you know, blow up on, it's, it's a family thing, it's a genetic thing, it's a DNA thing, and you know what, God can't do anything, so what's the point? And so this person is just defeated. And we have these two far ends of the spectrum, and I'm sure you might know someone like this, and maybe at times you find yourself to be in one of those two categories, where you say, boy, you know, I'm good for nothing to God, God is so far from me, you know what, uh, you know, I'm always messing up. Or we say, hey, I'm just, just fine, man. What are you talking about sin? I'm doing just fine. You know, this is my good life now. I'm doing just fine. And so you have this far end of the spectrum. And, um, I, you know, I have met um, over the last almost, you know, 19, 20 years of doing ministry, I have talked to all sorts of people at both ends of the spectrum. And both uh, ends of that spectrum, they, people say, I, I, I don't want to deal with God. I don't want to talk to God. Uh, it's, it's, I don't need to talk to God in this way. Um, this all stems, and it's interesting, uh, we're going to do a little bit of background here, and I want you to stay with me. Um, the book of 1 John, all the commentators will tell us that he, that John is addressing a group that was coming into the church called the Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S, Gnostics, or Gnosticism. So they were coming into the church, and they were a group of people that had a false teaching. So they were syncretistic. They would bring in some of their own knowledge and try to mix it with Christianity. And there was a group called the Gnostics. Uh, the Gnostics believed that all spirit was good and all matter was evil. And they had some special knowledge about this. And so they would teach this and they had a, a heresy called Docetism. Docetism is a heresy that says that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross because um, he had to be a spirit being, so the spirit appeared. It was kind of like a, a uh, you know, some kind of an image, but it wasn't a real man. Jesus was like a spirit, you know, a being that was on the cross, but he wasn't really a man. So they were changing the identity of who Jesus was. And because since God is now spirit and he is, hates all matter and we are matter, um, we can't even go talk to him anyways. And so they say, you know, the Gnostics, it comes from the word, uh, gnosis, you know, it means knowledge. Like we have a special knowledge. We have a special way to God. And they would start coming into the church in this way. And I would just, uh, um, just on a side note, add, if anyone, you go somewhere, you go to another church or you go to a place and someone has some kind of special knowledge that it's only to them, I, I would be very careful. I just red flags. I would just stay away. Right? Um, but anyways, coming back to this, they were now teaching this. And you could imagine John is saying, Jesus Christ was 100% human in the flesh, 100% God. Uh, his blood was shed. His body was broken. It wasn't a spiritual figment of who we thought he was. So what he writes in verse 1 of our text today, he says this, that which was from the beginning, which, and look at all the senses he uses, right? Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. So he's saying, I've been there. I've heard him, I've heard his voice, I've touched him, I've heard him. He was real. Uh, Jesus Christ was real. Uh, let's get that straight. And he wants to now combat the Gnosticism that was creeping into the church. And when you read the book of 1 John, um, you see that theme over and over. And now you can see why I said, man, you know, it's just so much stuff. We're trying to condense it, right? Um, but the Gnostic would say, since God is spirit, 
and I am now just flesh and blood, and I am evil, and God is holy, I can't get to him. Uh, he won't deal with me. And what he says is, is, no, actually you can fellowship with God. You can walk with God. And when you ask for forgiveness, you will receive forgiveness. And that's what we see here. Uh, number one that we see is, is he wants us to have fellowship with him. God wants to fellowship with us. Uh, we often think of the word fellowship, it's a, kind of a church word. You know, it's, it's like coffee and donut time, you know, a fellowship time. But it, it's really the idea of walking together, going together in the same direction, doing life together. That's what fellowship is. Um, verse 3 of our text, it says this, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, right? Um, so he's saying, we want you to have fellowship with us as we are having fellowship with God in verse 3. As we have fellowship with Him. So our life goal, the goal of every human being on earth, whether they know it or not, has to be to fellowship with God. Not just find success, not just find earthly pleasures, not just to excel a little bit more than the people around me, but it is to fellowship with God, to walk with God, how important that is. And so when you get in the Bible, Noah is described as being uh, one who walked with God, Enoch walked with God, Elijah walked with God, so on and so forth, uh, to walk with God. But here's a problem. There's this language here that's used, light and darkness, so on. God is light. We're darkness. Whether you admit it or not, God is light and we are darkness. What are you going to do about that? In verse 5 of our text, it says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So this is the message, right? God is light, right? And in him is no darkness. But if we're darkness, what are we going to do? That's the problem. Um, it's interesting, right? This idea of darkness and light. You know, in John chapter 3, it's Nicodemus, the leader of the Pharisees who approaches Jesus when? In the dark at night. You know, later when Jesus is crucified, it's Nicodemus who goes to now help bury his body. And they refer to him. John refers to him as the one who came at night. It was as if he was a law keeper, but he was still in the darkness. Um, so the problem is that God is light, we're darkness, we, we're sinners, right? Uh, verse 6, it says this, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So remember the people we talked about, we said those who are in denial, they say, you know, I'm just fine. He says, if you say that, you know, you're, in, you're deceiving yourself. You're fooling yourself or you're calling God a liar. And that's what he's saying. So those of you who think that you are doing just fine on your own standards, he says, no, you're, you're a sinner. You're in darkness. And we can all testify to this. Go ask anyone that is close to you. Hey, do you think I, I'm a sinner? They'll say, yeah, man, you're a sinner, right? Um, they'll tell you that. Um, those of us who are married, uh, ask your spouse. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll let you know. They're like poking you right now, right? Yeah, you're, you're a sinner, right? Yeah, he's talking about you. Listen up. Wake up, right? And he, he's, we could tell each other this. So we have this problem. We need a fellowship with God. He wants to walk with us. But sin is there. What do we do? The second thing we do is we now confess our sins. Uh, if, we have a, if some of us have any kind of a, a Catholic background, this idea of confession, 
uh, it might bring up all sorts of images, you know, uh, relieving my guilt and um, telling someone about it, and, you know, um, it makes me feel better. And, and even today, we have anonymous websites all over the place where people could write and make confessions. Uh, these boards everywhere, almost every university has them, and you write what you did. You know, I, I cheated on my, you know, uh, physics test, and, um, you know, I didn't actually use, a, I write my own paper, I use someone else's, and, uh, but, you know, it's, those are all anonymous. When you read it, when they put their name, they don't say, well, you know, I, I didn't write the paper, I cheated. And you're not going to say, you know, Steve Choi. You know, you're going to, like, just make it up. Like, I'll just make up a name like Paul Lee or something. You know, you just put it in, you know, Dennis Park, you know, whatever. And you say, I'll just use that. And um, they don't have to know. But it's not just about me getting something off my chest, me alleviating some kind of guilt. That's not what confession here is about. It's about me owning up to my sins. You see, when we apologize, it's not going through the motions. We have to apologize for what we did. I remember, um, and distinctly, some of you have done this, some of you have experienced this, but I remember in grade school, one of my teachers, they would make the kids, when they mess up, write on the blackboard. Remember those things? Blackboard, chalk, anyway, so on the chalkboard. And what do you have to write? You know, before you go to recess, you better write 30 times, I will not you know, laugh at my friend when he falls down and hurt his feeling and kick him in the face, whatever. So you have to write that down 25 times. I will not, you know, laugh at my friend when he falls down. I will not laugh at my... Why? Just in case the, the kid doesn't get why he's in trouble. Here he says to confess your sins, not other sins. When we confess my, it's in the first person. When I confess my sins, he forgives. So it's not about... Me confessing other people's sins. We're good at that. It's called gossip. It's called slander. We got a bunch of ammunition. You know what he did? You know what she said? You know what he was like? We have a lot of that. He goes, no, 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 don't worry about them. Confess your sins to God. Go and bring your sins to God. And he forgives you. Now, does this mean that this is our salvation is conditional? Like I have to keep asking for forgiveness in order to make it to heaven, if I forget to ask for forgiveness and I mess up, if I die, what happens then? No. This is a covenant relationship, right? He's writing to the people of God. Some of us, we understand what, what, covenant relationship. In, in simple terms, it's, it's like a family relationship. So husbands and wives, you know, so those of you who are married, you're in a covenant relationship. You know there are times you, you're going to mess up. Right? And even when, when I officiate weddings and I tell couples, and a lot of you, I've, I've told, we've talked about this even in counseling, but it's like, yeah, you're going to mess up, and this is how you have to fight. This is how you have to share, because you're going to mess up. But you're in a covenant. That means it's permanent. Um, same thing with our parents, right? We are now in a covenant relationship with them. We could mess up, but you know what? They're still there. They're still going to take care of me. My siblings, maybe. And maybe a, a few really close friends. Maybe a few really close friends from church or, uh, you know, just, man, you could really be honest with them and tell them about and make mistakes and they'll forgive you. But you know what? Every other relationship is a give and take. What have you done for me lately type of relationship. And often we approach God in the same manner as a casual friend. And you know what? We're easy to let you go and maybe God might let me go. And we think of him this way. No, we got to think of him as the deepest of all relationships. That no one can snatch us out of his hand. That he has us till the end. Our names are written. So when we confess, he now forgives. 
we have to confess, and he forgives. It tells us in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He says, remember the sins you just prayed? Remember the sins you had confessed? Okay, he'll forgive those sins. All those that you just mentioned in your prayer, he'll forgive those specific sins. But not only that, he says to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is true forgiveness. And so we become people who want to fellowship with God. We want to walk with God. In order to walk with God, we need to confess our sins. We need to do it regularly. And we need to find forgiveness. You know, being forgiven is a good thing, isn't it? Um, you know, husbands and wives, we've all been there where like, you know, you've been in the doghouse, you know, you said something you shouldn't have said, you know, like you're, you're you know, family is crazy, you know, I'm just kidding, you know, and you said it, it's too late, and then you're in the doghouse, right, or the sofa, garage, whatever, and then, you know, or as a kid, when we're growing up, you get in trouble with mom and dad, we've all been in trouble with mom and dad, and you know, man, dad's coming home, like pops is coming home from work, and it's going to be serious, and there's that anxiety, your stomach is just upside down, and you just want to deal with the consequence to get into that state of being forgiven. And that's just peace, man. That's all we want. Man, that peace, there's nothing like this. And he forgives us, not just of the sins we have confessed, but of all our unrighteousness. He cleanses us from that. So what do we do? Uh, I, I just want to share a couple of practical things for us, some applications for us of, of this deep text. Number one, I want to ask you to, to acknowledge, to know this forgiveness of God daily. Like, I want it to be in the depths of your heart. This is the truth that will dictate your life. This will define you. This is who you are, that I'm a forgiven person. It's interesting, when you go back to verse 9 uh, that we read, it says this, right? Confess your sins, he is faithful and just. If you've memorized this before, you kind of skip over it, but think about it. Why does he say he's faithful and just to forgive us? It, it says he's faithful and just. It doesn't say he's faithful and passive. We have people that are passive. Just say, I don't care. He, he's faithful and easily manipulated. We can go and act cute and maybe he'll let me go. Um, or he's forgetful. No, he says he's faithful and just. What does just mean? That there's justice. Someone has to pay. So the Bible talks about the wages of sin or death. Someone has to pay for it. He's just. Now think about this. Um, in any, uh, depending on what side you're on, right? In any setting. We, we either want justice or mercy, right? If, we're, if it doesn't affect me, um, you know, we want some kind of justice. But if it affects me, man, we want some leniency, right? We, we do this often. Now, one of the things, and I, I confess, since we're talking about confession and all this, but I confess to us, all right? Um, the thing that me and my uh, youngest, Ashley, would like to do is we drop off, I, drop, I take him to school, we drop off uh, my older daughter at junior high, and we get to the elementary, we have about 10 minutes to kill. So... She wants to just sit in the car, you know, like, till the bell rings. So we just sit, and I wait. I'm like, please go. And she's like, no. She's like, I want to stay with you, Dad. I'm like, just go. And, you know, anyway, so um, we have this. But um, about once every other week, they, they set up this little uh, speed trap in front of the street. And so they give tickets like crazy. There's two motorcycle police officers, and they're just waiting. And so I said, well, we got to kill 10 minutes. What are we going to do? Let's go watch them. And it's become like our little thing. 
And I, I, I get the biggest kick out of it. So we'll watch it. I'm like, oh, there they come. Look, look, Asha, look. And she gets excited and I'm excited. And then the police pulls them over and it's like almost a high five, but I contain myself. You got a ticket. Like, they deserve it. What are they doing? You know, this is a school zone, man. Why is he going like 35? Who does he think he is? And it, there was one time it was one of her classmates' mom got a ticket. And I don't know. It was just so fun and justice. And, you know, she, you know she's got to learn, you know. And, um, but think about it. When I get pulled over, hey, come on. Like, are you kidding me, right? I don't deserve this. I'm a pastor. Are you going to give me a ticket? You know? I'm only going 10 miles. Oh, I'm not going to kill anyone. Like, come on, get, get a life. You know, like what do you, you know, and really, we, we, we fight, we have that urge. He says he's just. And so when we sin against God, he says, well, who's going to pay for this? Someone has to pay the consequences there. Like any good teacher, any good parent, they say the consequences there. Someone pays and it's Jesus Christ who paid. He pays for our sin. He paid it on the cross. That affects everything. We have to let that truth seep into our lives. Let that define you. Don't just let it be head knowledge. Yeah, you were church. You went to Sunday school. You heard the gospel. You know the you know, four spiritual laws, whatever. No, no, let that be about you. Let that change all the facets of your life. Why you compare yourself to people? Why you gossip against other people? Why you think you're better than others? It's all about that. Man, I'm forgiven. They're forgiven. The second application is confess your sins to God, confess your sins to others. Hey, if you mess up, if you hurt someone's feelings, learn to confess. Learn to say, hey, I'm sorry. And like you would do on a chalkboard, tell them what you're sorry for. You know, it's uh, only one time does it tell us in the Bible to confess our sins. James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Confess to one another that you may be healed. Think about this. We're in a, a church relationship, a, a family relationship. And we have membership. We want you to be part of this. We use the words family and body. You know, we're all together. And you get in a group and you start hanging out together. And you know what's going to happen? There's sinners everywhere, including us. And so we're going to at times hurt the other person. And you know what... Um, over the years, not just our church and every other church I've been at and every other church in this world, when people leave, often, it, most of the time, 99% of the time, it's over, oh, you know what, they won't apologize. Or, hey, you know what, um, I hurt them, but I'm too proud to apologize. It, it's something simple like that. It's relational. At our church, in the last seven and a half years, we've had one person had a doctrinal issue about something. The mode of baptism, Right? That was just one time. Every other time was, well, so-and-so wasn't nice to me. So-and-so wasn't like this to me. So we, you have to initiate this. We have to say, hey, you know, when it's time to apologize, hey, man, I didn't know I hurt your feelings. Sorry about that. You know, that's, that's my fault. I'm so sorry I did that to you. That just diffuses it all right there. Because uh, we will often hurt each other. You know, uh, Brennan Manning uh, said this, and I read this quote many years ago from his book, uh, he says, the temptation of the age is to look good without being good. Temptation of the age is to look good without being good. You know, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the pastor who was martyred uh, in the uh, Nazi concentration camps, he wrote a book called Life Together, and in it he says this, and I want to read a quote from him. 
The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. The fact is that we are sinners. The pious fellowship. When you get a bunch of people that say, aren't we all supposed to be perfect? And someone says, I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. They say, I I, I can't handle this. Confess our sins. And the third thing that we have to do is forgive one another. The most godlike thing we can do, forgive one another. The only way we can do this is we go back to the gospel truth that someone paid the price for me. There's a story that I uh, want to share with you as you wrap up a story of a young man named Ian Ellis. And this was just last week in San Diego. Um, he had committed a murder. He stabbed a 19-year-old man, a young man. Um, and he was being sentenced uh, 21 years in prison. And so uh, the cameras were on, and the mother of the 19-year-old man, Tamika Brown, came in to talk. They gave her some time to talk to now the one who killed her son. And we, we've seen this, whether it's fictional movies or in real life, but they, it's time where they share their heartache, and you did this, and I hope you, you know, rot in jail, I hope you did this, and people share whatever it is. And you can imagine the anguish of the mother, how harsh it was. And this is what she said. This was on the news because of what she said. And I quote her, she says, Only God knows why I'm not angry or why I don't hate you. Would it shock you to hear that I love you? And she said, I have a song for you. And she sings him this song in the courtroom. Um, And you could just tell, man, it is just the room is just in shock. And they're listening to every word. And she says, this mother who had lost her son says, so you think that you can't make it through. Just remember my God cares for you. Don't you worry. Don't you fret. Because the bed you lay in, my Savior, he's there for you to have met. Don't give up. Don't give in. Today, make Jesus Christ your number one friend. Now, we say, how can she, how can the mom who's... uh, son was stabbed to death at the age of 19 say this to the guy that stabbed her son either she's crazy or something divine has happened to her and what has happened to her is the same thing that has happened to all of us that the unforgivable person me the sinner the chief of sinners have been forgiven by jesus christ and the penalty of death was taken on the cross for me and when I, in my little silly, proud moment, say, oh, you know, I can't forgive that person. I have my rights. We have to go back to the cross. When we say, hey, you know, what, where's justice and all this? I have to just go back to the cross. And it leads us to be people who can now forgive others. Some of us have deep wounds. I have deep wounds. Some of us have really deep, deep pains. I'm going to ask you to start working on forgiving that person. Make it a lifestyle as you walk with God to be a forgiver. The one who has forgiven us and cleansed us of all unrighteousness, Jesus Christ, has forgiven us.
how can we not forgive? Um, that's my prayer for our church, that we would be able to do that. Learn the gospel, to confess our sins, and to forgive. Could we do that? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, these are just some uh, very difficult things for us to try to do. Um, and Lord, the matter of the gospel of what you did for us is very difficult. Um, it was no one on earth could do that for us and would do that for us. Um, uh, but you did, and you, you took the penalty of our sin on the cross, and so we take that now to heart. God, help us to be forgiving people. Help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.